This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast, a podcast with a worldwide listenership that explores the broad world of preservation from every angle, from drones to mudlarking and everything in between. Now, let's get preserving. Ask anyone working in the trades about who we should be keeping an eye on, and many will tell you Amy McCauley. It's for that reason that I knew we had to get Amy on PreserveCast and release that episode in conjunction with our celebration and recognition of women in preservation and the historic trades. Known for working with hand tools, that means no power tools, Amy is a master craftsperson making waves in a field that deserves far more attention. This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast. Today, we're very excited to be joined by Amy McCauley, who serves as the preservation joiner at George Washington's Mount Vernon. Um, And so we're going to be talking about all things trades and caring for a place like Mount Vernon. Um, But obviously, we love to get to know our guests, their background, upbringing, you know, what got them interested in history and preservation. So Amy, you have a really fascinating job, and we're going to talk about that. But what's your backstory? How did you get into all of this? Oh, it's a long and crooked road that I uh, that has got me to uh, Mount Vernon. Um, I I was raised with a love for history, um, namely through my grandmother, uh, uh, and we lived uh, next to their farm, and so I pretty much spent all of my time with her and my grandfather. Um, she did a lot of genealogy, so I learned a lot about my family history through her. And there came a day when I was like, I think I want to be an archaeologist. And she said to me, there's no money in that profession. <laughs> and so instead, I got a degree in, in fine arts, which, you know, equally doesn't have a lot of cash flow. Um, and once I had gotten my degree from the University of Oregon, uh, I struggled to figure out, you know, if you're going to be an artist, you're usually going to be freelance. Therefore, you're a business. Um, and I was very hesitant to start a business. I didn't have any sort of background in that. Um, and it seemed uh, very daunting. So I moved to Portland, Oregon, and did some odd jobs for a bit. And then I had a friend tell me one summer that she was working with a general contractor and uh, he needed help for the summer, and he he hired five women to work with him on a project, and he said, I'll keep one of you after the summer, and uh, I, I was with him for about seven years. Um, he does have a degree in historic preservation, so I, I was exposed at that point to what historic preservation was, because I didn't really understand it that well, uh, and he showed me some, you know, basic skills, uh, along the lines of preservation. And, but eventually he kind of went the way of, um, a remodeler or kind of a, um, you know, a general contractor uh, situation. And, uh, there came a point where I, you know, wasn't really finding a lot of joy in that. And uh, at that point is when I started my business in Oculus Fine Carpentry. And I've been Oculus for over 20 years uh, before I came here to Mount Vernon. And did I, I sent my business cards or I placed them at a window 
shop, a shop that makes new windows. And also you can purchase uh, replacement like Marvin's and such. And so all my calls were windows, obviously, uh, of people that wanted to restore them and not, uh, you know, toss them into the dumpster. And so I immediately found myself very busy doing exclusively windows. Um, and I needed to get up to speed with how they're created, you know, what goes into the restoration of windows. Um, and, you know, just started doing research and, you know, slowly got some skills. And eventually I was noticed by Shippo and... Um, I started, they were starting to refer me to people and that's when I began doing uh, nonprofit work and working with state parks on, on more unique structures, um, house museums, lighthouses, uh, you know, all manner of strange buildings that you might see on a state park or a friend's group might own. It's interesting. It seems like we've interviewed um, a variety of different tradespeople, um, you know, over the course of our work here and interviewing folks. And it seems like in, in, a, in a silly way, um, windows are like the gateway drug to, to trades work. It seems like, like, well, you know, people needed their windows done. And so I started doing windows. And then before you know it, I'm working on lighthouses. I mean, it's like, is it, do you think, is that, a, is that a common thing? Is it just because there's so much window work out there or is it a, is it a simpler type of trade skill? What, what is it about windows? Is it just the volume? Um, I don't think it's simpler. In fact, they're quite complicated. Um, and if you've ever tried to take apart your own window, you would quickly um, come to that understanding. I have, and uh, I've, <laughs> I've screwed it up. So yeah, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, for a while, when I first started out, there wasn't a lot of people doing restoration of windows, at least in Portland. Um, and so, and you know, they're attractive, right? They're old, the old ones are good looking. They have wavy glass. They're, they have character about them. And people didn't want to toss them into the dumpster. And so, you know, because I was... You know, there weren't many of people doing it in Portland. Um, you know, I was super busy and, you know, it just, it moved on to, from that point. Um, eventually, you know, more and more people started to get into the field and became businesses in Portland. And I was able to refer work out when, when I, there came a point where I was pretty much exclusively um, governmental and nonprofit projects uh, and I kind of stopped doing uh, residential work and so I referred quite a you know I, I was able to refer out to people that I knew that were doing the work so there's a big focus right now and, and you know some of the work that we're doing um, with a project we have have called the campaign for historic trades which is a, a partnership with the National Park Service but there's a lot of interest right now as there has been for years but about trades training and I'm curious, you, you kind of, you, you, you mentioned it in passing doing research, kind of, you know, you obviously were working with a GC and all that kind of thing, but, um, talk to us about your training experience. What was it like? Was it more, you did it yourself? Did you, you know, sort of apprentice yourself to a master? Um, how did you go through trades training or, or how did you get the skill set? Uh, well, there's no masters in, uh, they're working in window restoration or wind or building of windows in general. Uh, I would say that one of the pivotal moments in my career, uh, and I've been thinking about this 
as of late because I just turned 50. Um, looking back at my career, at the turn, at the places where I chose a path and by choosing that is how I've gotten to where I am now. And one of those moments was I was working on a nonprofit house outside Portland and with a friends group and with grant money, of course, you have a lot of people that come to meetings and you, you don't work in a vacuum. You have to, you know, discuss things and agree on stuff. And there, a timber framer, a good friend of mine, David Rogers, was there. And we needed some windows made new for the house because they had been replaced with aluminum um, replacements. And the nonprofit wanted them to be to look like the rest of the rest of the house. And so I went to the shop where, you know, I did and and I got a quote for the shop making new windows. And I I brought the bid back to the meeting in the group and <laughs> David said, "Well, I think those windows should be hand built because not only are you providing a product in keeping with the character of the house, but you're also keeping a dying craft alive." And I looked at him and I was like, well, gosh, I don't know how people make these by hand. (laughs) (laughs) And it pretty much uh, that sentence um, defined kind of my, the second half of my career because I became so obsessed with uh, learning how windows were made by hand. Uh, I started amassing hand tools learning how to use them through trial and error. Uh, I, I had some friends on a social media page in England who, you know, told me, okay, try this or try that. Or when you're bringing in antique tools, there's a lot of tune-up you have to do. So they would help me figure out, oh, you know, do I need a new iron? How can I fix this? Something's janky. Um, so through a lot of trial and error, I eventually became fairly comfortable using the hand tools and I started learning how to build hand planes, very specific ones. There's side escapement sash profile planes. And I needed to be able to build those so that I can, I was able to go a hundred percent unplugged. And that's now, so I've heard sort of through the grapevine and one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you, and I think it's a good, maybe a good segue to talk about your work as a joiner. And we need to define that for folks too. Um, but uh, that you, ha- you do almost all of your work without power tools. Is that, is that true? Is that like your, is that like your, I don't know if that's your thing, but is that, uh, is that what Amy McCauley is, is known for? It sounds pretty uh... cool. It sounds pretty hardcore. Um, yeah, I'm. I, that is. You're unplugged. You're like it's like uh, preservation unplugged. <laughs> yes. Uh, so once I was able to build those planes and the irons, uh, I sold all my power tools in one big sale. Wow. Um, and looking back on that moment, that was really crazy. <laughs> I, I I won't deny that. I don't know. There. Uh, I was so, um, it felt like I was put on this earth to do this work by hand uh, and to keep a dying craft alive, essentially. Um, there's not a lot of people doing, 
doing uh, sash building by hand. Um, I know there are folks that know how to do it. And, um, but for some reason, I felt like I needed to just go cold turkey, sell them all, and sink or swim with my business. And I guess you swam, and then you swam all the way across the country to Mount Vernon. And um, so for people who are listening who may not be familiar, we've got listeners all across the world and a lot of different you know, types of work and people who are just interested in preservation, passionate about it, all that kind of thing. Um, what is a joiner? Is it a carpenter? Is it What is the difference between a joiner and a carpenter? And why are you a joiner and then we'll talk about what that means at Mount Vernon but but let's define the term because I think a lot of people probably aren't familiar with that term nowadays um joiner is someone that usually works at a bench so you're doing joinery at a bench um for me at Mount Vernon I'm working on windows and doors so we would remove them from the from the buildings and I'm able to work at them at a workshop or a bench um, I also run moldings at the bench for Mount Vernon. Uh, so historically the, the differentiation between the carpenter and the joiner profession was, uh, joiner works with joints as in windows, doors, that sort of finer joinery, whereas the carpenter is usually on s- out in the field, on site, the building site, um, putting the buildings, you know, putting them up, essentially. Was the joiner, would you consider, and I'm, I'm sure that there would be some squabbling over this, but uh, would you consider the joiner to be, is it a higher skill set than a carpenter or just a different skill set? I would say just a different skill set. I don't think, you know, <laughs> putting Mount Vernon together is... It's no um, easy thing, right. <laughs> all those timbers. Um, and, you know, I do work with a carpenter here who is, you know, taught me a lot about timber framing because I don't have that background. And right. I've had to come up to speed fairly quickly um, on that because, you know, with COVID, we've had some reduction of staff. Um, oh, I was just going to say, that it might be a good segue to talk about Mount Vernon. You know, you're talking about you're working with carpenter and all that kind of stuff. So, like, I know this is a funny question for most people, like, what's a typical day? I don't really have a typical day. So I don't know if you do, but what kind of projects, what do you do at Mount Vernon? Um, what sort of projects do you work on? I think a lot of people think like, well, the building's in, you know, fantastic shape. What, what do you mean you have to keep working on it? I mean, obviously it, it needs repair and all those sorts of things, but maybe give us some examples of projects that you're either working on currently or you have worked on that people should know about. And then we'll talk about maybe what's challenging, what's coming up, all that kind of stuff. But let's just talk about Mount Vernon. Um, well, my, uh, I'm an early person, so I get here early uh, in the morning. Uh, I usually like to take a walk up to the mansion and historic area. For those who've never been here, our estate is quite large. It's over 400 acres. There's about a half a mile between my office workshop space and the historic area. So you do have to walk a bit to actually get up to um, the historic uh, area. And I, I do, and I like to walk up there because it reminds me of where I am occasionally. And if, if I'm spending a lot of time in the office or in the workshop, I forget where 
I'm working or what I'm doing. Um, and it's it, for my work, it's very important to ground myself and go up and see the historic area, see the mansion. Remember the, I have to remember, there's a, an enormous amount of weight by working here put on your shoulders. I mean, there's a presence of the house, of the historic nature of the site that is unlike anything I've ever worked on. Um, so I do like to do that morning walk. Plus it gives me a chance to look at all of our repair work that we've done and to make sure that things are not um, changing or there's some something odd going on. Uh, and then I usually, there's, I do have meetings during the week that I attend. Uh, this is very much a team effort here at the architecture department. Um, and so we have a lot of discussion about things, about process, um, you know, things that have come up. Uh, so I certainly don't work by myself or make decisions by myself. Uh, and at that point, you know, after meetings, I go up and I usually work in the workshop, which is where my, uh, the benches are. Um, and depending upon what's happening, you know, it, it varies. I do have to juggle a f quite a few projects at one time. With windows and doors, you know, you, there's opportunity for juggling of projects in that, you know, you'll have product drying, you know, coatings drying glazing putty drying so there's you know opportunities to you know do other other work at that point uh i'm currently working on the new room door restoration i'm also working on this the north garden house sash um and i'm also working on the grist mill which is another historic um structure that we have but it's it's down the road a bit there it's built in the 30s, so it's not as um, old as the historic area buildings are. Uh, so, you know, my work my work does vary. Um, we have upcoming. There's a, our big project for the year is the north south end of the mansion are being restored, and all of the rustication is coming off. We do repairs to the wood siding, and then we re do the sand coat that's on the siding at that point i am in charge of the windows um so all the windows get restored at that point we also have to install the venetian the venetian window was something that i was involved with in 2018 here uh, it was a massive project um at that point i was still a contractor so i was brought in um, from oregon and i did that work with the um, then conservator that was here. And that was a, that was a big project. What would you say of all of this is, I mean, I'm sure it's all challenging, but is there one aspect that really pops out? Is it the weight of the place? Is it making sure that you get it right? Is it working in a building where so many eyes are on it or so many people are going through it? What is, what's, what's something that, that just is a pervasive challenge? All those things are a constant, um, presence uh i think for the for me the biggest ones are having to bring 110 percent of myself every day uh it can be exhausting um 
And then the other is how we, you know, we'll do a repair and then, you know, we get to watch it either fail or succeed. (laughs) Isn't that sort of just life? (laughs) It is. But when it's funny, because when I was a contractor, you know, I did my work, you know, and as, as best as I could. And then, you know, I walked away from it, essentially. And, you know, the maintenance and the upkeep was all done by others. And I just hoped that, you know, you know, they kept it up, you know, well-maintained so that my repairs that I did were, you know, know, had longevity to them. Um, Here, we're doing the maintenance. And so, you know, it, it, it is insightful, but it's also can be um, at times discouraging if things don't go as you planned um, or if there's some odd thing that happens. So then you have to kind of, you know, come back and reassess the process you did, where potentially there were issues. uh, How can you change it for the better? Uh, So those two things are probably the most challenging. Well, this might be a good place for us to take a quick break. And then when we come back, let's talk about trades training, the future of these trades. We talked about keeping trades alive. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, and we'll do that right here on PreserveCast. We want to thank Oliver Pluff and Company for sponsoring today's episode of PreserveCast. Oliver Pluff and Company tells the story of historic American beverages, including teas, spice drinks, cacao, and coffee for historic sites, national parks, gourmet markets, and consumers looking for a great beverage hand-packaged in signature artisan tins. To enjoy a cup of history and learn more about what Oliver Pluff & Company offers, please visit oliverpluff.com. That's Oliver Pluff, spelled P-L-U-F-F, dot com. We'd like to thank Masonry Solutions International for sponsoring today's episode of PreserveCast. Masonry Solutions International specializes in structural repairs for historic masonry buildings. With decades of experience, Masonry Solutions International helps stabilize and enhance important historic places, supporting the owners and project teams involved in that challenging work. To learn more about Masonry Solutions International, visit masonrysolutions.com. That's M-A-S-O-N-R-Y-S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S.com. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast. Again, today we're joined by Amy McCauley, who is the preservation joiner at George Washington's Mount Vernon. We've been talking about her path to the trades talking about the work that she does at Mount Vernon, the weight of that work, the gravity of it, um, and the challenges associated with that. And, you know, just trades training in general have a lot of challenges. Um, Given that you've been working in this for, you know, a considerable period of time, you've seen it from the private sector side, you're working sort of in the nonprofit sector now. Um, Are you optimistic about the future of historic trades? and then maybe sort of as a follow-up to that, what do you think needs to be changed? What, what I guess, perhaps what concerns you? What would you like to see changed? 
fairly optimistic. I think that there is an increase in um, interest in in the trades. I think the work of the some of the trade schools like um, ACBA and uh, North Bennett and um, Belmont, uh, you know, have raised the option of trades for, say, a high school a student or a young person, um, or really an old person, you can do it whenever you want, uh, to have an opportunity to, you know, go down that road. And um, I think that, you know, I was not aware of those schools when I, you know, was applying to colleges. And so make, I think the one thing I would like to see happen is more presence uh, just out there in the world of historic trades. um, So that, you know, people out West or like students out West, you know, can understand that that's an option. I don't think college is right for every person. And I think there are people out there that are gifted with their hands and we need those people to potentially, you know, take up these preservation trades. Um, And for myself, it's always been a challenge to have apprentices as a small business owner. You don't have a lot of extra cash to hire somebody and pay workman's comp, um, any sort of benefits, uh, and still make ends meet. And that was my big challenge when I had my business. I tried it twice. Um, but because what I, what I was doing with the unplugged was so foreign and so out of everyone's wheelhouse, I spent eight hours of my day training. That's all I did was train. And I couldn't, the projects were not moving along as quickly as I needed them to, to make ends meet. So, you know, having the, these colleges that, that offer training and also internship potential at, at some sites, because we at Mount Vernon take on an apprentice or an intern from ACBA every year. And so these, up and coming tradespeople are getting exposure to kind of what we do in our philosophy, um, which is great. And we hope that they go out and either start their own business or become a valuable, valuable asset to someone's, you know, work on some of these structures. Uh, so I, I would like to see uh, more of the trades talked about um, in the media, uh, profiled at conferences, you know, places like, I know it's hard for tradespeople to access APT, but it would be great if there was some sort of representation of the trades there um, at those bigger conferences. Uh, This year I became involved with ICOMOS, and joined the International um, Wood Committee. Uh, Traditional trades and crafts are a major component of their charter. And so I would like to, you know, 
find a way to help them in any way I can promote historic trades and crafts. Um, so, you know, those are some of the ways that some of my thoughts on historic trade. And yeah. It's important and, and it's timely. Speaking of trades and preservation, all those sorts of things, do you have any favorite must read trades or preservation books that people should be picking up that sort of inspired you or that you love? Uh, Conserving Buildings by Martin Weaver. That's a big one. Um, that's a good place to start for conserve, you know, doing some uh, more conservation level. Um, work on structures. Uh, what else? The English, uh, what is it called? Practical Building Series by English Heritage. Is, is Those are excellent texts. Uh, they are expensive, but occasionally you run across a sale on those, um, but they are worth every penny. And and for those listening, you could they couldn't see Amy, but she leaned over and looked. It looks like she has them right next to her there. Yeah, so. I have a couple right here. <laughs> so they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're right at right at right at her fingertips yeah, there. The the timber book is about to fall apart, but we'll, we'll get him fixed up. Uh so those are excellent. Um there's there's actually a lot of information on uh the Wood Committee website. Uh, we uh, publish the proceedings from our conferences, and there are papers there that talk about preserve. I would say conservation globally. Uh, some of it is hands-on, and some of it is theoretical and policy. Uh, those are good places to uh, find information if you're if you're thinking outside of the U.S. or um, England. Uh, let's see. Those are the ones right off the top of my head. So if um, if people want to learn more, find out about you or what you're doing at Mount Vernon, where can they do that? What's the best way to follow what's what's up with you? Well, I am on social media. Um, Facebook and Instagram. I don't do Twitter. I'm sorry. It's a fixed time suck. Um, so those are two places that you can look. Uh, Facebook, I'm in there under my name on Instagram. It's Oculus Window. Um, I'm also a resident curator for Fairfax County, which means I am restoring a house in exchange for paying rent, essentially. Um, and so I will be starting a blog on that project fairly soon. Because you just don't get enough of it at work, so you have to go home and, and restore a building. <laughs> well, let me tell you, uh, housing around here is expensive. <laughs> the D.C. Yeah. metro area is very costly. Yeah. Um, and so uh, this was one way where I could live nearby and uh, and I will say that Being here, it's it's very it can be very tedious. The work is, um, what, for instance, the new room door. I'm having to remove paint coatings like layer by layer, so it's very um, detailed. And sometimes I just want to go home and build a staircase or build, <laughs> you know, just get in there and build something from start to finish in a weekend, or you know, get up there and fix my gutter. Um, 
I think that would be a great pull quote for this episode. Sometimes I just want to go home and build a staircase. That's never been said on PreserveCast. I've never said it, but I love it. I think it, it, it encapsulates this conversation very well. Oh, you know, with the, with the resident curatorship, you know, not only is it giving me housing um, on a beautiful um, spot in Lorton, Virginia, but I'm also restoring and able to actually work and do physical labor uh, on a historic structure and saving it for, you know, the state of Virginia. Um, it's a little unusual building in that it's a peeled log construction built in 1876. Uh, and so it's just been, it's been fun so far. And it's, well, we'll have to have you back maybe to talk a little bit about that and about your, uh, your new staircase there. Um, <laughs> before we go, this is generally the most difficult question for anyone, particularly someone in your sort of position, but what's your favorite historic place or site? And we can say, we'll just give you a pass and say, of course it's Mount Vernon because that's where you work right now. But if you had to go beyond Mount Vernon. Um, well, that's a hard one, I have to say. I've worked on seven lighthouses in Oregon, Washington state. And people, when I talk to people, they're like, Oh, it must be magical. And I'm like, it's hell on earth is what it is. Um, uh, Hesita head lighthouse might be up there as one of my favorite places. Uh, it was my first, um, project with the lighthouse where I had to build all, all the sash for it. Um, so it it does hold a special place. It was grueling work, um, as all lighthouses are, but it's one of my favorites. Well, I think you that's can Google a, that. On yeah, I was going to say we uh, we will make sure to put a put a link to that in the show notes here. And um, and I forgot to say that um, if you do want to find out about my older work, uh, my website might be a good place to start because I have a lot of information on that. And what's the website address? Uh, www.oculuswindow.com. Cool. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Well, this is probably a good place for us to wrap this up. You probably need to go and, and peel a layer of paint um, and then maybe this weekend build a staircase. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's been so much fun. So interesting to talk with you. Um, and again, we, I would love to have you back and maybe talk about the curatorship project. Thanks so much for joining us, Amy. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. To dig deeper into this episode's story, head over to PreserveCast.org for show notes and our collection of previous episodes. Don't forget to engage with this podcast by subscribing, commenting, and leaving a review. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PreserveCast for even more. PreserveCast is currently recorded in Walkersville, Maryland, and sponsored by the 1772 Foundation, and powered by Preservation Maryland. Thanks for listening and keep on preserving.